Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello all you magical people out there and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Witch is why we're here with you today. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to be covering The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. These are the original creators and contributors of the Marauder's Map. Mooney being Remus Lupin, Wormtail being Peter Pettigrew, Padfoot being Sirius Black, and Prongs being James Potter. So the last chapter left off with Lupin telling Harry, Ron, and Hermione that Peter Pettigrew was alive and has been living as scabbers for 12 years. Not only is this something that has to be affecting Lupin himself, but the kids as well. What do you think they're going through at this point after hearing this strange news? Well, I imagine probably a number of different emotions. There's probably shock, surprise, disbelief. And I imagine they're trying to put it together and think of ways whether this scenario is accurate or not. Hermione especially seems to be trying to tune into this because she actually is the one that insists that Ron and Harry let Lupin finish and let him tell the story. So she seems to be not only believing him, but I think she's starting to draw connections to try to understand what's going on. I imagine for Ron, however, this is something that's such a big shock. Not only is he in severe physical pain, right? His leg is broken, but he's also in severe psychological distress. This is somebody that he's been terrified of for for years, somebody that he believed to be trying to kill him and kill Harry. Ron, remember, was having nightmares throughout this entire year about Sirius coming to harm him. And now hearing that his beloved pet, Scabbers, might be a terrible traitor is probably not only inconceivable to him, but also probably really jarring. Yeah, he's some strange man 
basically dressed up like a rat. <laughs> Who's been sleeping in Ron's bed for years, ever uh, since Ron was a small child. Very, very strange stuff. You did mention disbelief, and Harry, Hermione, and Ron are in complete disbelief that Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew. After all, the story they heard was that Sirius Black killed Peter Pettigrew along with 12 muggles. But that isn't the real story. Tell me about Peter Pettigrew. He was at school with us. We thought he was our friend. No, Pettigrew's dead. You killed him. No, he didn't. I thought so too until you mentioned seeing Pettigrew on the map. The map was lying then. The map never lies. Pettigrew's alive. And he's right there. Hey, it's mental. Use your rat. Scabs has been in my family for 12 years. Curiously long life for a common garden rat. He's missing a toe, isn't he? So what? All I could find of Pettigrew was his finger. The dirty cow would cut it off so that everyone would think he was dead. And then he transformed into a rat. Show me. Throughout history, a lot of us accept what we're told as facts and even go as far as to defend these facts until the bitter end, even though sometimes they're proven wrong. Even when evidence supports another explanation, you know? It appears that individuals can be easily manipulated at times. Can you explain why some would fight so hard to maintain a belief even in the event that their belief has been proven false? Absolutely. I think for a lot of people, the beliefs that they were raised with form a structure that makes them feel safe even if the structure is false. And when we're told that something that we thought was true isn't true, our brain, our cognition might essentially go through something called cognitive dissonance, where because there is now this discrepancy between the way that we were raised and reality, we try to make sense of what's going on. And so in order to reduce that dissonance, in order to reduce this suffering, essentially, sometimes people might adapt maybe a, a really maladaptive belief such as that the other person is lying even if all the evidence points to the opposite. I think this is why unfortunately a lot of times individuals who learn that somebody that they knew was a bad person, maybe somebody they knew, let's say sexually assaulted someone else, they might have a really hard time believing the survivor because of the dissonance that's created. This is, of course, no excuse for this kind of behavior. I think this is why some individuals might defend somebody that they know because the dissonance that's created for them, The on one hand, knowing the person that they know or they think they know, and then believing or learning that this person might be a bad person, in the case of Scabbers here, learning that he might be a wizard and a serial killer <laughs> might be so terrifying and shocking that it's easier to just assume that the bringer of the news is a liar than to accept the really harsh truth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to accept the truth when you were brought up to believe something. Just as a refresher, an animagus is a magical person that can turn themselves willingly into an animal. This refers to Sirius Black and Peter Pettigrew in this case. What I want to know is if you could be an animagus, what animal would you turn into? That's a great question. Me personally, I would turn into a raven. That's my spirit animal. 
And I think that for me, ravens are extremely intelligent birds. They can talk. They can actually emulate human speech and certain sounds. They can plan for the future. For example, they can form tools with their beaks and they can hold on to those tools for future use so they can bring it with them. They also learn which humans are safe so they can communicate to other ravens about which humans bring them food, for example. And of course, they can fly. They can easily move from one place to another. And so I think for me, if I could turn into to any creature at all, it would probably be a raven. How about you? Oh, no doubt it would be a wolf. <laughs> I think wolves are just awesome. And just the way that they have their pack structures, and I just think it's fantastic. So it'd be lupin-like or serious-like? Yeah, I would. I think it's More serious-like. <laughs> yeah, Sirius has full control over his transformation, whereas right. lupin does not. Exactly. Lupin isn't an animagus. He's not. He's a werewolf. Yeah, it's, it's different. Since we are kind of talking about Remus Lupin here, a little outside research that I did led me to Remus Lupin's origin story. Remus was actually turned into a werewolf by another werewolf named Fenrir Greyback, who sought revenge on Lupin's father because Lupin's father was saying all these unkind words about the werewolf community. The attack took place just before Remus's fifth birthday. And although his father burst in and saved his son from death at the last moment, the attack left Remus as a werewolf himself. It has been noted that Lupin's condition is symbolized to be someone suffering from HIV. The condition and the stigma surrounding it. What are your thoughts on Lupin's story and this association with his condition? Yeah, throughout the years, many people have postulated about what lycanthropy can be a metaphor for here. So some people have postulated that it might be a metaphor for HIV. Others have talked about it being a metaphor for bipolar disorder. Others have talked about it being a metaphor for essentially pedophilia, a child being a victim of pedophilia and, and abuse. I don't know exactly J.K. Rowling's intention here with this particular metaphor, or if there was supposed to be a metaphor at all. But I think for a lot of individuals who've been through something really painful and and bad enough that they might have been through something really painful or are still going through some kind of lifelong illness, for instance, the stigma and the misunderstanding and the demonizing from society, I think, makes that condition that much worse to where individuals like Lupin have to suffer alone. And a lot of times organizations, including schools, have to keep their condition a secret from other people from being further victimized from that individual being further victimized. And it's really heartbreaking that for someone like Lupin, who already was th gone through so much as a child in being hurt in this way, and then is going through this lifelong condition, he still has to hide it because otherwise he could be fired from his place of employment, for example, for discrimination. So whatever I think people understand this condition to be whatever po people believe this to be a metaphor for. I think it's a really powerful one. And I think it's important to really think about how we might treat individuals that are going through some kind of an ongoing illness, for instance, and how much stigma those individuals face in addition to the trauma of going through that illness in the first place. Yeah. 
you can look at it so many different ways. I've heard so many different interpretations of what his condition can actually represent. And people associate themselves with that and him. Hermione, being the smart little cookie she is, reveals that those who are animagus have to be registered with the Ministry of Magic. Being an animagus is very difficult and it takes a lot of skill and time to perfect. It could be very dangerous in multiple ways. What does learning an advanced skill like this say about Sirius James and Peter and their loyalty to Lupin? Well, if I remember correctly from the chapter, I think it took them five years to really master the skill. And I think it shows just how dedicated they are. An animagus transformation can be really dangerous. And they did this so that they can be with him during his transformation to a werewolf form so that he didn't have to go through it alone. So not only was this craft really difficult to master, it took them five years, not only is it dangerous and of course illegal because they didn't register themselves mm -hmm. with the ministry, but also they did it purely to be there with their friend during the most difficult time that he would experience on a monthly basis, putting themselves at danger as well. Mm -hmm. And it's true that werewolves primarily attack humans, but still they would be around him during this time. And it really shows how much they loved him, how much they cared about him to do this so that they can be with him through the most difficult times that he went through. I think it's so beautiful. As you're mentioning, not only did they learn this very difficult skill, but Sirius, James, and Peter changed into Animagus to help Remus and support their friend. Being a werewolf is a very isolating and terrifying and dangerous situation to be in, especially to those around during the transformation, as you were saying. Nevertheless, his friends wanted to help. This shows a high level of dedication and compassion. We all want friends like this, you know. Why do you think Peter would betray a group of friends that are committed to one another like this? Well, we're going to be learning a little bit more about that later, right, throughout the books. In this chapter, all we kind of know is that he did. He seemed to have betrayed his friends and lied. And I think one of the main things that can drive people to do something like that is either fear or having a larger sense of purpose. In Peter's case, I imagine it's fear, mm -hmm. him being a coward. What's really interesting, too, is what I really appreciate about this chapter. It's a really short chapter, but there's a lot of depth in it, mm -hmm. is that we see a pretty full picture of the Marauders because especially James and Sirius, because they were, on the one hand, really dedicated friends who went through all of these changes just to support their friend Lupin. But on the other hand, they also almost killed Severus Snape. Mm -hmm. So we learn that they essentially attempted to put him in a situation Back when everyone was a student at Hogwarts, they would put Severus Snape in a situation where he would be around Lupin. When he changed, yeah. When Lupin changed, when Lupin transformed. And at the last moment, James, I guess, changed his mind and told Snape not to go. And so I really appreciated that this chapter showed the really wide lens here because these were not perfect boys. They were very close to each other. They were loyal to each other, at least back then. 
when they were kids at Hogwarts, but they were also vicious toward people they didn't like. Mm -hmm. They were vicious toward Snape, and they put him in a situation where he could have been killed, or at the very least, possibly turned into a werewolf. Thankfully, James at the last minute changed his mind, and but at the same time, it was James and Sirius that essentially put Snape in that situation in the mm -hmm. first place. Another thing I love about this chapter is it really shows how much support Lupin really had, not only by his friends, but by Dumbledore. Being a werewolf, he wouldn't have been able to go to school. Dumbledore helped him out in multiple ways. Dumbledore actually planted the Whomping Willow so it could guard the secret passageway from Hogwarts to the Shrieking Shack. And Lupin used the Shrieking Shack to safely transform away from Hogwarts every month. That's what all the screaming and the howling that freaked people out and made them think it was haunted. It was actually Lupin transforming and going wild like the animal that he was. It appears that Dumbledore values providing an education to those less fortunate. Students who, without his help, would not be allowed the access to an education. What can we all learn from Dumbledore's heart here? In this case, especially, Dumbledore is a really great example of non-discrimination policies because it seems like without Dumbledore, the school and maybe other organizations would be able to discriminate against people with what we could maybe consider a disability. And to be able to say that, hey, this individual should not be a student there or later in Lupin's life, a professor there, whereas Dumbledore was able to create a path where Lupin was able to teach and also be able to be safe mm -hmm. while in school. Yeah, him teaching right now. They didn't have Snape's potion back in the day. The Wolfsbane potion. Yeah, since Snape is the amazing... Potions master. <laughs> Potions master and wizard that he is. He had that availability, and that was also thanks to Dumbledore as well. Speaking of Snape, this chapter actually ends with Snape showing up under the invisibility cloak and surprising everybody in the room. It's going to be no surprise that we're going to end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. And from the bottom of my heart, I really want to thank all of you amazing listeners out there from us both. Yes for helping us reach 100,000 downloads. Thank you all yes, so much. Yes, thank you much. guys so much. We really appreciate you listening in and joining us on this wild adventure and journey. Thank you so much. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag HarryPotterTherapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. From the bottom of our hearts, stay safe out there, stay magical, and take care, everybody. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. 
always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.